0: Welcome to episode nine of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, author Emily White. We are in the home stretch of season two. So, um, today we're going to be talking about your merch in our Merch Recon episode. Uh, Just a quick recap we've gotten your art together with Vernon Reed of Living Color. You've monetized your music before it's even out with your pre recording marketing foundation. You've gotten your business affairs together. So all your legal legalities around music are ready to go. You've recorded, which is very exciting. You've registered your songwriting to be collected on. Uh, let's try that again. You've registered your songwriting to collect on your publishing in full and you're all set up for sync. You've released and distributed your music properly. We've spread the word on your music through marketing and in the last episode, uh, you learned how to really build a killer hometown show and not spread, your, spread yourself out too thin and building an efficient touring strategy regionally and nationally and internationally from there. So as I mentioned, today we are going to talk about all things merch. I'm just going to go over a few things before I bring today's guest on. So first when it comes to merch, you don't necessarily just have to like go press up hoodies or shirts or whatever, just cause you think that's what you should do. Um, get creative here, both literally, and also to be mindful of cost of goods sold, which um, is abbreviated to COGS um, in any sort of business. So for example, you could do a handwritten lyric sheet Um, And charge like twenty five dollars for that. You could autograph it. Charge more. You could personally autograph it. Charge it. Charge even more. And that's going to cost you know your time and a piece of paper. Um, You know, similarly, you could do a personal letter for your fans. You could do a video shout out. You could do a custom voicemail. You know, merch is really emotional. Um, At least it is for me. I started as a merch person when I was in college and. To this day, you know, especially in the live setting, who's ever doing your merch? And as we talked about in the last episode, you should go and hang out there afterwards to increase your merch sales. Um, That's really your, your connection to the fans or the fans' connections to you, right? So I used to make sure that my merch table looked gorgeous. We were collecting data at the merch table, you know, when folks are mulling around you could say, hey, would you like to sign up for my email list? Would you like to join the text message club? Um, so it's also a really important data collection point. Um, also, again, just to recap from the live episode, uh, if you have a square credit card reader, that's going to double and triple your merch sales. Um, most of you are pretty set up with Venmo too. You know, you could have a QR code or just your phone handy for that, um, but all of that makes a difference. But to getting creative as far as merch and cost of goods sold, I was talking to a band called Harry and the Hootenannies who told me they get their um, merch shirts at Goodwill. And so that's something that saved them money. It's better for the environment. It looks cool. And that's something that their fans really love as well. And if you're doing anything limited edition, limited edition vinyl, um, I have had artists who limited, you know, print merch runs or a poster or something, make sure the audience knows that. So it's special. You could even, you know, number them. Um, make sure you don't hide that information both online and in person. Um, you know, when you're just getting going, if you're working with a local print shop, you can also save some money by providing the raw goods and not just relying on them um, for their materials because they're going mark to that, mark that up a little bit. And if you're printing in the United States, if you're working with companies that pay a fair wage, if you're working with environmentally friendly merch companies, and that's important to you, make sure you tell your fans that. Tell them that, you know, make, have a sign at the merch table. Make sure that's um, very, very clearly labeled online at your merch store. Um, because if it's something that's important to you, then it's important to them as well. When you're just getting going with your merch store on your website, you know, that can be Banzoogle, that can be Squarespace, you don't have to code um, to be able to, um, you know, sell merch through your your website. Um, You know, you could fulfill it. You could set up a stamps.com account. I know tons of musicians that do that. Or you could pay a friend, right? They could make like 5% of the net, so that's going to be after expenses, or add on a handling fee of a few dollars per item, um, and then they can get paid to take care of that for you, especially if you're touring and, and on the road. Um, just a couple more things before we bring Chris on. Um, if you're if you're shipping any sort of custom gear or artwork, maybe it's like an autographed guitar or ukulele or something, make sure you send that with insurance because you don't want the fan to be disappointed. That can be an expensive item. And then also definitely have um, that kind of merch shipped and packaged professionally because you don't want it to get damaged. Um, so finally, before I bring Chris on... Um, You know, there's also a lot of on-demand merch companies out there, uh, which means you don't have to press up like a hundred of whatever, right? Like it's just going to be per item. Um, Be really careful with those because there's a lot of quality control issues when it comes to on-demand. That said, I really like fourth wall for on-demand merch um, I should probably learn his name, but one of the investors is Serena Williams' husband, Alexis, the Reddit guy. Um, they have a lot of backing. My nonprofit I voted works with them, um, so I can really vouch for, for for Fourth Wall and the quality of their on-demand merch. However, you are not going to have as high or strong of a profit margin. I'm not saying don't do it. We do it at my nonprofit. It's way easier than. Um, having a whole bunch of, you know, merch that we may or may not sell. Right. So when you're just getting going, I I really would say do it yourself. Um, But fourth wall has a variety of items and is really built for um, creators, not just musicians. So they have um, a lot of cool stuff. Okay. So I'm going to bring out my first guest, uh, Chris. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Chris uh, while we're uh, getting him on the screen here. So over the last 25 years, Christopher Moon has worked to foster a creative approach to supporting artists in a variety of capacities. That's definitely true. You'll hear about that. As an artist manager, he's worked with critically acclaimed acts such as Josh Rouse and represents Merge Records' Apex Manor. Chris works for Ambient Inks. That's what we're really going to dig in uh, on today. A leading merch merch management company based out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin as their artist relations manager. Ambient clients include Bonavere, Courtney Barnett, Sylvan Esso, John Legend, Camp, and Thundercat, to name a few. In 2019, Chris created a must-listen to podcast called Tough Love Adventures in Artist Management, where he interviews fellow artist managers uncovering real-world stories and insights. Past guests include managers for Death Cab for Cutie, Bonavere and Tenacious D, amongst others. Chris has spoken at, at industry conferences, including South by Southwest and Americana Fest. He's been featured in Billboard Magazine, Polestar, and NPR, and the LA Times. Welcome, Chris. How are you doing up in Minneapolis?
1: Good, good. Uh, looking forward to going to Los Angeles in a couple of weeks.
0: <laughs> I bet.
1: With some warm weather.
0: Exactly. Um, (laughs) But
1: otherwise doing really well.
0: We are recording this in Milwaukee and we've had a few guests in L.A. who are like, oh, it's like 60 here. And we're just like, shut up. So, yeah, you deserve that L.A. trip. Okay, so let's dig in on your background, which we could do a whole podcast episode on, um, which we won't. Um, but I've interviewed you on your background before, so you've worked all over the industry from labels, you've been a concert promoter to of course, management, music, tech, activism and podcasting. Tell us about your journey.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, funny enough, I don't, I, and I talk a lot about this on my podcast, but I don't think people typically, you know, ident- identify as an artist manager first and foremost is what I've done the most. Yeah. Uh, And it's kind of the through line in my career, but I haven't, you know, I didn't really set out to do that. I think I was just first and foremost, an advocate of artists um, and wanting to be as close to that creative process as possible, I guess, early on, but not really able to lend uh, much to that conversation and the kind of guys of, uh, you know, talents as a musician or, or whatnot. So between promoting And eventually, you know, stumbling into artist management, uh, you know, I kind of found my groove, so to say. Uh, And it's something that even as I pivoted over the last 25 or so years um, in my career, uh, it's been kind of the constant, um, which I'm thankful for. I really, really love that connection point um, and touch point um, with an artist. Uh, But I'm also really enjoying this season of my life just talking to other artists and managers and hearing about their journeys and, and whatnot. Uh, and then hyper-focusing on, uh, the relationship with the fan in regards to merchandise, uh, which I'm really thankful to be able to, to kind of lean into now.
0: A hundred percent. not to digress too much, but you know, how many managers have you interviewed on your podcast that did set out to do artist management, even if it's a percentage?
1: Oh my gosh. I don't think I've talked to anyone. Yeah. that really kind of had that in mind to begin with. It's just through circumstance yep. uh, and opportunity, uh, it kind of presents itself over time, which is fascinating to me. Uh, I mean, it's such a, artist managers are such a, you know, unique breed in a way, as you very well know, I'm sure <laughs> being one, you just, you, it, you're first and foremost a fan yeah. and you have a good understanding of the whole, you know, scope of the industry, um, but it's kind of like you against the world on behalf of this creative artist. So it takes a different kind of personality, I think, to do that, or a wide variety of different personalities. and They're all very unique, which I love.
0: A hundred percent. I'm not surprised that it's basically zero people set out to be an artist manager. So that's, that's very interesting. Uh, back of the napkin research from Tough Love. I love that. So, you know, sometimes I hear from artists talking about other artists um, where they'll go to a show and it's an artist they love and there's no merch, you know, and like Mm. artists are horrified. Um, These are obviously artists that do have merch. So, you know, not to start out negative, but like, what do you see folks doing wrong in the merch space? If that makes sense, what mistakes are people making?
1: Yeah, I think primarily, not thinking about it from a fan perspective and not taking it seriously. Um, I mean, there isn't really, well, first of all, in my opinion, at least there's nothing more flattering than somebody buying a piece of merch with your name on it, uh, in support of you as an artist, um, with streaming being so omnipresent and it's such a kind of a laid back, relaxed experience. Um, I mean, when somebody throws down some cash to come see you at a show, or buy your merch, whether it's online or at a show, that's pretty meaningful. That relationship, that budding relationship, hopefully, which will last a while, is paramount. And you also get an opportunity to make a strong connection there. Um, Especially if people are buying things online, they've sought you out, come to your website, and made it to your store, and made a decision, paid for the shipping, and are anticipating that. Uh, and you get that relationship moving forward, uh, which very few elements of the music industry really allow for that. Um, the job I had previous to this was for a company called Noise Trade, which was an artist um, development platform, essentially introducing a fan base to a variety of different artists and collecting data. So that's a touch point that I'm, you know, isn't lost on me as I kind of pivoted over into the merch realm. I'm like, wow, this is, You know, how you treat from a customer service perspective and how you present yourself and present your merch to the show is, in my opinion, super important to kind of warm up that relationship and show that there's some respect for it. And I think most artists, I don't know, it's very daunting. I mean, as a manager, merch was always really challenging for me, if I'm being honest. It was very, um, it was hard. It was hard to navigate sometimes. It was expensive. The profit margin could be there, but there's a lot of unknowns. I think, I mean, one of the things I love doing at Ambient now, and I'm fortunate to be able to have this position where I can come in and kind of bridge that gap a little bit with artist managers, and really assist them. And I understand that fight and the challenge of that having done it myself. But I think, um, you know, for our young artists it's just like, as you were pointing out in the introduction, you know, there's so many opportunities with print on demand um, or just to do it yourself. I mean, I. I I really encourage artists to fulfill until they can't do it anymore, um, because it's, you get an idea and a feel for what that relationship is and the importance of it um, early on. It gives you an opportunity to really engage with some of you know your first fans. Uh, so I, I think that kind of thing is important. You just have to start, and then not do it's a missed opportunity. And the longer you wait, the harder it is to you know really build that connection where it can be a a pretty large profitable component to your overall business Um, definitely saw a lot of artists struggle with that during the pandemic you know i mean when you think of merch most of the time you think of selling it on the road and that is like an overwhelming majority of where you'll sell your merch um but the ones that had kind of spent some time building up an email list and a fan base that was engaged was able they were able to kind of ride that uh, time frame of, you know, during the pandemics when there weren't shows to really kind of have that opportunity and stay in touch and allow their fans to support them in that manner, which I thought was really great.
0: Definitely. And it's also like getting creative with, you know, even basic things. So um, we manage an artist named Julia Nunes, and Julia's merch company reached out. This may have been during the pandemic, but it almost doesn't matter. And just said, we have so many Julia custom ukuleles. Can we run a sale or special (laughs) or whatever? So she, I mean, she knows how to connect with her audience. And so she got really creative with it. We did like a 20% off sale, sold like a hundred ukuleles really fast. And then Julia's like, let's do this with everything. Like, tell me the the shirt that's selling the least, like, send it to me. I'll cut it up. I'll get all creative with it. So yeah, it's also, um, what you do with it. But Um, Again, I I could talk to you for hours about your career separately. Tell us a little bit about Noise Trade because I think that's such an important um, company that you were the president of.
1: Yeah, so Noise Trade was, I mean, it came along, I guess, I guess it started right around 2005. So going back a while now, really, when you think about it. Um, But it, uh, it, it was founded by an artist who was frustrated with, Um, the performance of a record and he felt like if people just had an opportunity to hear it, this is pre streaming days, obviously. um, Then there was an opportunity to come out of it. So uh, the artist, Derek Webb uh, went to a friend and they developed basically a website where if you put in at that point, I think it was like, you just drop in five email addresses and you get the record for free. And through that process, he built his email list to almost a hundred thousand people. And was able to turn that into profit on the road uh, by engaging. He does a great job, actually, really engaging with his audience. Um, that's a big piece of that puzzle. But I was just fascinated as a manager when I started working with an artist. And he did a, um, a, essentially a campaign with Noise Trade where they sent out to their user base of around 200,000 people at the time. Uh, a collection of his songs and took his email list up to around 20,000. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, I was just, it's hard to acquire new fans, but it's really hard to acquire new fans and that data, that opt-in data where you have an opportunity to really nurture that relationship. So, um, yeah, it was fun to jump into that world Why it was, you know, MP3s were still a thing and there was perceived value in that and, uh, give away a lot of music and really develop, um, Essentially, yeah, I think in the end we had about 1.5 million fans that were just really interested in hearing new music and being introduced to new artists on a regular basis. Um, and we're happy to give up their their data and that opportunity to engage uh, over email um, and, uh, you know, kind of really move things along for um, artists when it comes to, like, e-commerce and touring and various elements, so... Yeah, it was a fun playground to be in. I mean, it kind of curbed a little bit as MP3s did and streaming kind of took hold, but it was a nice little run and a good opportunity to learn a lot about um, fan engagement and developing a fan base. Uh, And what you can do as an artist to kind of leverage that and how you go about communicating with fans after after they've raised their hand in that capacity.
0: A hundred percent. And I also wanted to share. I wanted to wear a merch shirt tonight, and merch is not limited to music. So um, I'm wearing a Megan Rapinoe mm-hmm. shirt that I bought off of her web store after uh, the World Cup because I wanted to find that connection. So I reached out and did that. Yeah,
1: that's now, awesome.
0: Yeah, not really a question, but um, okay. So you're at Ambient Inks now, which is up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Tell us about. Is it Ambient Ink or Ambient Inks? Uh,
1: with an S. Okay. Inks, cool. Yeah. Um, so, Ambient started out as a print shop. Um, the two founders, Tim and Aaron, um, were in college and loved screen printing and, uh, you know, spent all their time doing that. And uh, we are fortunate enough by Grace Location to get an email out of the blue from Boney Bear's manager asking if they could do a round of t-shirts for his second record. Um, and uh, they figured out a way to make it happen. Uh, they produced... On a manual press uh like close to 2000 t-shirts in a very short order of time and that order was able to get ambient inks up and running and the relationship obviously with Boney bear goes back quite a ways now since the beginning and uh still to this day but it's through that process became a print shop but then kind of morphed a little bit more into this full-on merch management. Thankfully, we were already operating around 200 e-commerce stores mm-hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic. So even though we didn't have artists touring, obviously, in printing as much, we were able to weather that pretty well and learn a lot uh, from those relationships. And, uh, yeah, now it's, you know, we're, we've come through this uh, pretty tough period three years ago and then, honestly, in some respects, the period right after was just as challenging because it was like zero to 60 uh, for a lot of us and, and everyone touring. Um, and there is a lot of uh, opportunity within that, but also a lot of opportunity to learn and adjust. Uh, so just feeling really fortunate. Um, the other thing that's really wonderful about ambient, uh, that I love is, uh, it's kind of commitment to the environment and sustainability, which is a unique element within the merch world, uh, and garment, uh, fashion world in general. So we're working really hard with a variety of artists, to really message out, uh, what you can do, uh, as far as being more sustainable with your merch, whether it's, you know, having things made more locally in the U S or, uh, just picking better organic cotton, uh, garments. Uh, you, if you message that to a fan base and create that expectation and, uh, that communication and connection, then it it can really reap a lot of really good reward. Um, so that's something that's near and dear to us and a bit of a differentiator.
0: I totally agree. And do you guys still do the uh, compostable packaging?
1: yeah yeah we started doing that for 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 justin for bony bear a while back and switched to doing that all around so and what i love about that is is that when you order something online there's inherent obvious waste and expense environmental expense to shipping anything obviously um but at least when you get that package it's compostable and that's uh pretty meaningful in some respects it kind of helps drive home that um that uh, connection point to the environment and sustainability
0: that's so cool you guys maybe you do but lead with that everywhere because i tell so many people about that i find that to be so unique oh that's awesome yeah i don't know any other merch company doing that so that really stands out
1: oh thanks
0: yeah so why do you love merch i talked at the beginning how it's like to me it's very emotional but um you're a huge music fan you've been doing this a long time why do you love merch
1: yeah, you know, it was funny, I, I you know, I did so many things like we were talking about earlier, you kind of stumble into stuff, and I got introduced to, to Aaron over at Ambient Inks uh, after Noise Trade, and it was, yeah, just immediately it resonated with me, because going back to the first concerts I went to as a kid, and being in college, I mean, I'm, I'm, there was never a period where I didn't have tickets to the show. And there was really never a show I went to and I didn't buy a t-shirt at. Yeah. Um, I was just kind of gung-ho about that from the very beginning. Um, yeah, it's just something that's always resonated with me. I, I, I think, I don't know, I think there's so few opportunities. I mean, you can buy a really nice, you know, limited edition, color variant vinyl now, which is awesome, but it's so hard to have a, something that's physical and tangible. Uh, It just show your support for an artist uh, in the streaming era. So I don't know. And that maybe now more than ever, I think it's important to have really well-designed and meaningful, you know, uh, merch as an artist. I mean, it's part of your brand at the end of the day and you can have fun with it and develop it and nurture it uh, in a way that's kind of a creative outlet uh, ultimately should be, I think and a connection point with fans. And, you know, it's kind of full circle in that sense. You know, I think back quite often and try to constantly remember like, okay, when I walk up to a merch stand, what do I want to see here? What's meaningful to me as a fan? What would resonate potentially? Um, and, you know, where do I share a connection point with this artist? And, um, you know, there's a lot of, lot of thought that goes into that um, to some degree. There's a lot more than just throwing a logo on a t-shirt.
0: It's so when you true. get down to it, if
1: it's done really wide.
0: Yes. But, um, yeah. So I still have Dresden dolls underwear from when I tour managed them 18 <laughs> years ago. Um, that is like <coughs> shout out to JSR merchandising because it's totally intact um, there, but and we used to grab them all the time because it's like you're touring for months and months. It's just like, oh, you need an extra pair of underwear, like grab it from the merch table. Um, <laughs> so yeah, i wh- I do have one pair that's starting to go, so that might have to go to the textile recycling. But I'm probably gonna post that at some point and be like, dude, JSR merchandising, like this underwear has lasted like 20 years. Way to go! So, side note, you can also make. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that was that was a big seller. Um, for that band too. So. Okay, when someone's working with you guys at Ambient Inks, uh, how much lead time should they, you know, do they need for you guys to produce merch, including, like, you know, artwork and design and all that?
1: Yeah, I mean, we love to start as early as possible. Um, that's something I'm working on a lot with our clients right now. Um, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, and it's just unfortunate because you have so many moving parts in an artist's career. Quite often, if you don't put some sort of importance on Merge, it happens, you know, quite often it happens to be the last thing you get to, you know, even ahead of a tour or an album release. It's like, oh, what are we gonna do with this? And how are we gonna roll this out? Um, and, you know, I think design's really important. Uh, a lot of our artists now have creative directors or work with a particular designer. So there's some consistency. I think that kind of collaboration point is super helpful. Uh, We work with an artist that um, just loves to kind of, you know, source stuff like that for themselves. Their personality and brand as a band when it comes to merch has just been by, you know, looking online and finding some really cool visual artists and reaching out directly to them, which I love. Because that's like taking it to a whole nother level where, um, you know, other artists, you know, just want to share music and let people kind of absorb it and see what they can bring you know, from their own perspective into it. Uh, It kind of runs a gamut. But timing-wise, we really love, if we're going to be involved in it creatively from a design perspective, we want to get music early. We want to think about, you know, what those items might be and really think about the full merch line and try to figure out, you know, what works best and collaborate through that process. If an artist comes to us with designs already, that's super helpful too. And then we can kind of like tap into that a little bit and think creatively about the merch line and what will resonate with that fan base. And then, you know, really, outside of that, it's just trying to find uh, some sort of cadence and rhythm to the planning component. Because touring, I mean, if you're in a van, quite honestly, it's kind of funny in a way, but if you're in a van touring uh, and you don't have a trailer, you know, there's only so much merch you can probably squeeze into that van. So you have to be really strategic with how you go about that and what you bring out. Uh, As you grow, there's kind of like a a bit of a a period for most artists where it's like you can't get enough in the the van. So you're shipping to every other show and then you're losing your profit margin on your merch and you're running the risk of stuff not showing up. And at some point you get to a place where it's like, okay, we got to get a trailer, you know, and then you can expand that room a little bit. We talk quite a bit with our clients. We bring them aboard at any size now and that's that's for any artist touring and really taking their merch seriously a lot of the times it's like well how are you you know what are your what's your touring capacity like how what's your plan on being able to carry this because that's that's another piece of the element that's really crucial um you, you can lose a lot of opportunity and a lot of um profit margin if you don't plan ahead um so and then after the tour or after a cycle then yeah it's kind of getting to the the other side of it and going, okay, what worked well? What didn't, what do we have left? How do we get, um, get creative with how we can move this merch and, and make it a good experience for the fan and be meaningful in some respect. So, um, you know, we do poster printing too, which a lot of print shops don't, which we, we love doing, uh, screen scraping and posters. And, uh, you know, we've been doing upcycled old posters that didn't sell in the notebooks, which a lot of fans really love. So, you know, you kind of just think of creative ways to kind of like turn some of this inventory into something that can be meaningful uh, in some capacity to the fan. Um, it's it's a challenge to kind of take all that into focus for an artist themselves or a management team, really. So that's one of the things we're working really hard on. Is like, how can we be proactive with an artist and think through? Um, different ways to kind of keep merch front and center, both on their minds, but obviously on the minds that are fans too, whether it's like recurring merch drops around touch points or tent poles in the year. Um, we really encourage all our artists to do at least a sale or two a year, not just wait till Black Friday, you know, when everyone's rushing into that season. Um, we had a pretty sizable artist just do a huge winter sale and the end of January that's kind of still wrapping up right now and it was way more successful than if we would have tried to do it during a hallway season so I don't know there's different philosophies with all that but we try to get creative with it as we go and then also going back to not only the environmental sustainability component we also try to think of the charity component too we have a lot of artists are already leaning into that pretty easily and readily uh in and of themselves but that's a great way to kind of do something meaningful. If you have some overstock or dead stock that you need to move, um, or just, just to make a stronger connection with the fan base. Uh, one of our clients camp, they ha- they've done a series. I haven't talked about it this year yet, but typically every year for the most part, we've been doing a, a special design earth Day tee that they attach to some sort of charity. And that's always nice to see. And the fans get really used to it and they're kind of excited to get it. And we, press like a, I don't know, two or 300 of them when they're gone, they're gone, you know? So doing that kind of stuff's kind of fun.
0: And statistically people give more if there's a charity involved. So they're more likely to purchase the merch anyway.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun, you know, way to kind of give back and engage with your fan base in a different kind of way. Um, So, and that's something we do as a company. We choose a day, a month where we give all our proceeds that we sell through our web store back to a charity, uh, with a partnership with plus one. So that's something we believe a lot into and that, that hopefully that helps kind of get other our artists involved along the way.
0: Definitely. And as far as sales and specials go, um, do your birthday, you know, like your fans want to celebrate you. Yeah. So that's going to be most likely a random day. Um, oh, and then did you say a specific number though? I know you said as, as uh, far in advance as possible, but in your ideal world, when is someone hitting you up um, at the merch company to start pressing for a tour or an album release or something?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's nice to have, to have a good full quarter to do it. Like okay. three months is ideal. You know, you spend a month talking creatively, then you kind of really start digging in a little bit, maybe launch a pre-order, maybe get some initial projections together um, for touring. We do tour projections for a majority of our bands that are out on the road now. And that's just, you know, we have a way to kind of like ingest a certain amount of information per heads, sell through
0: interrupt. Can you percentage, you know, kind you, of broken down. Can you define per head please?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So per head is, The number uh, is a dollar figure that uh, is calculated by number of ticket sales and the amount of money you make in merch per night. Um, So, pre pandemic, a good per head was around five or six dollars. Post pandemic touring over the last year or two, it kind of dipped a little bit last year. In 2021, it was uh, like eight and a half per head, eight and a half dollars per head. Uh, So, it jumped up pretty significantly. I think last year's there's a company called At venue, which is kind of the uh, software management for merch management for the road essentially. Uh, and they compile what the average per head is each year uh, and it varies genre and whatnot. But I think the average this year was like seven something It wow. went down almost a dollar give or take, but it's still really uh, interesting data. You know, and we, we kind of have a couple of, of ways of taking what we see with our clients and finding ways to kind of make the best projection you can with it uh, to figure it out. I mean, we have clients that you know hit that average. And we have clients. I'm doing projections right now for one of our clients at twenty dollars ahead, which is wow, kind of crazy. But I've I think never they'll do heard it.
0: That. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's not uncommon. We have a lot of clients that do ten to fifteen dollars ahead right now, which is just insane. But, I mean, you have to, you know, you don't step into a venue and do that out of the gate. I mean, you have to, like, really have really thoughtful designs, have that kind of communication with your fan base. And, you know, I mean, at that point, you know, you have a fan walking up the merch booth and they're probably spending really what they're the people that actually do show up to buy merch, that whatever, 10, 20 percent. Uh, or 25%, if you're lucky at a show that actually buy merch, they're dropping over a hundred dollars at the merch table, probably between buying a t-shirt, a hoodie and a, you know, poster or vinyl or whatever. And that makes a big difference. Um, so yeah, just kind of tapping into that and nurturing that and trying to come up with ways to, we talked to a lot of our clients about how they message it. There's a great, I just discovered this actually in the fall. Um, but if you're on Instagram, um, there's, uh, I think it's just called the merch report. Um, and then there's also a hashtag for it. Um, but it is great because they just show you, I'm pulling it up right now so I can find it. Um, they did show you, uh, people's merch tables. Yeah. It's merch, uh, underscore report. Um, and, uh, so you can actually just take a look and see what everyone's doing out on the road and, and, and it, what, what's really striking to me is just how, I mean, there's a there's a nice fun way to kind of like do a homespun like pricing and sizing chart, but I, you know, I, we're trying to encourage our clients to be a little bit better about maybe coming up with something that's a little more refined. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the artists we work with camp, um, they call it like the camp stand uh, and uh, their merch manager uh, does a lot of like hand-drawn signs, but we actually had The guy, I think it was the guy who does all the Newport Folk Festival signage, Mm -hmm. do it for the last tour, and it made a world of difference as far as just when you walk up to the booth, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is really cool. There's a lot of thought put into this. And, um, you know, that that kind of stuff goes a long way. And, you know, you can do it. I'm sure everyone's probably gone to a show and seen the open suitcase with the T-shirt and the the record or whatever, you know, for the opening act. I mean, you can have fun with it. You can do a lot of really unique Uh, you know, homespun thing. It doesn't have to be anything um, necessarily expensive or crazy. It's just, you know, put some intent into it and thought into it. And that goes a long way. I think when it comes to really inviting people over, you know, hopefully, hopefully the venue has good lighting. That's always the, the the tricky variables like, okay, are they going to shut, you know, you in the back of the room where nobody comes Um, two of my favorite venues here in Minneapolis, uh, First Avenue, which I adore, but you have to really go out of the way to find the merch, but it's pretty well lit and it's not impossible to find, but it's, you know, you could easily miss it and not engage with it. But if you go to the palace in St. Paul, as soon as you walk in, the merch is right there to the left. And as soon as you walk out, it's there to the right. And it's like, there's no way you're walking into that show and not looking at merch. And that's like the ideal setup uh, when you have that. Um, So yeah, thinking about your setup, thinking about your lighting, thinking about the mixture of colors and types of items you have in your merch line. is really important. You know, like a black t-shirt right now is all the rage. Natural is really strong. You know, you want to have a mixture of colors, mixture of different types of designs, Uh, but you don't want to go too crazy. You know, we try to encourage people not to do same designs on different colored tees. You don't, what you don't want to do is have people have decision paralysis. You don't want them to walk up, see like five t's and go uh, i don't know which one i like and then not choose one eight, you know any of them um or that they can't choose from a color or whatnot so thinking about that kind of stuff i mean ideally they should walk up hopefully and buy like the two or three, you know a poster like two or three items you know i mean it's kind of the tried and true the apparel the accessories and you know the, the hard goods music or whatever like, if you can hit that trifecta, you're doing pretty well and probably making a good amount of revenue off your merch.
0: Yeah. And when I used to tour manage, when you're speaking of lighting, I mentioned this in the last episode. Um, we would just travel with like a $15 clip light from a hardware store. And then that would illuminate the merch setup if we were in a bar, club, First Avenue, whatever. Um, so that can make a difference. And I also want to echo um, at venue. Um, in my experience, that's been so great for tracking merch, right? Like to know what you're mm-hmm. out of different sizes and stuff instead of like, oh my gosh, we need more excels or whatever. Like,
1: yeah, you can see trends. Uh, they have a really cool feature now that does some, a certain amount of forecasting based on, you know, where you're at in the middle of the tour or up to date, uh, which is really great. Um, yeah, it's well worth the investment. Um, it's not an inexpensive tool, but if you're serious about your merch and you want to kind of build and grow on it, I mean, it's it's kind of crucial to have that data moving forward. It can really inform you and and give you a better understanding and idea of like where your strengths are and what you need to improve on or where you can save some money. You know, it's funny. Crowds are, are, are every artist. Uh, fan base is different to some degree Um, and sometimes trends just change you know like a year ago everything started going from like more of a fitted tee to a boxy tee you know and right now a lot of people are buying especially in sweatshirts you know really big sweatshirts as opposed to stuff Mm -hmm. that's more fitted Um, so yeah you have to kind of think about that because some managers will go well we never sell two XLs and I'll be like Well, actually you do, you know, if you look at your data, you're selling more than you think, you know. Um, Your audience is skewing a little larger, but then, you know, on the flip side, some of them skew a little, if you have a younger audience, uh, sometimes they, you know, end up buying more smalls or maybe even need extra smalls or, I don't know, you have to figure that kind of stuff out. And that's really hard to do anecdotally unless you have the data that support it. So if you can, or when you can, it's really good to tap into that venue. It's super crucial
0: hundred percent. So when an artist is just getting going or really at any stage of their, at, at any stage of their career, what are cost effective items artists can begin with, especially when working with a merch company?
1: Yeah. I mean, you want to definitely do the tried and true. I mean, definitely have, you know, Unistex t-shirt. It's important. Um, you know, during certain seasons, having a sweatshirt is important. Um, I cut an accessory, you know, that can vary from, you know, genre to genre and fan base to fan base, but usually, having some sort of hats, not a bad idea. I wouldn't go too far afield with getting too creative. I mean, you can do something that might be draws people in. Um, once you have those kind of tried and true merch items, I always do encourage an artist, especially if they they're creative and they have, They like to try things, you know, and you can find a way to make it work, but coming up with a kind of a tertiary or some sort of accessory that's interesting that might draw people in, you know, up to the merch table, especially on tour can be helpful. Um, so, I mean, if you wanted to do like a flag or a water bottle or a Frisbee or, you know, just something that's like, oh, that's interesting. And then you walk up and it's like, oh, maybe I'm not going to get that, but I really love this t-shirt. Yeah. Or I should pick up a copy of the vinyl or whatever. So trying to think about it, again, from that fan perspective and what it takes to get people to kind of engage, I think is really important. But I, I would say start with the stuff that, you know, tends to do well for everyone and not get too excited about. Usually to do stuff that's really creative, um, especially on the apparel side, you have to do basically like a cut and sew. Uh, which has high minimums because uh, you're creating an item. Um, some of the more you know, kind of more traditional or, or slightly off the beaten path um, accessories can have high minimums uh, to order. So your cost of goods go really high, and mm-hmm. it takes a longer time to figure it out. I mean, honestly, when you're ordering any piece of merch, um, you should really sit down and do the math on what your break-even point is yep. and when you start really seeing a profit. And think about that. I mean, it's really easy to get tied into, okay, this t-shirt's really awesome and it costs me $10 to make and I can sell it for 30 and I'm gonna make $20. But the reality is, you know, you have the shipping, you have the cost of whoever's selling it, you have the, you know, venue fee. So you have to kind of like factor all that stuff in, see what your return on investment is, but also see at what point you break even And then, you know, you can kind of figure out what works best. Like one of our clients, Courtney Burnett, she does a a show poster for every uh, show that she plays specific to that market. And in the past, they used to do 75. So when we started working with Courtney, she's like, yeah, we want to do 75 posters. I ran the, you know, I did the quote and ran the numbers. And I was like, well, you know, funny enough, with the price breaks, you know, if you do 100 posters, it'll cost you less and you'll have 25 extra posters to work with. You can either decide to sell them, you can give them away, you can sign them, you can do whatever you want with them. But it's actually cheaper for you to make a hundred posters per show. And you know, sometimes you just have to look at that. You know, and clients don't always get that granular with stuff. I mean, that's semi-unique in that circumstance. But every now and then, um, you know, you'll see a large uh, price drop because a lot, almost everything in the music industry, unless you're doing direct to garment, which is you know, print-on-demand primarily. Uh, which is usually just one cost. Um, you know, almost everything has uh, price breaks at different quantities. So at some point you have to look at that and think about it. Sometimes it's more advantageous to put a little bit more money up front because your profit margin is gonna be larger because that cost of good goes down. And if you can float it a little longer and sell through, then you're looking at a, a stronger profit at the end of the day. So unfortunately there's a lot of math involved with merch. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, once you get the hang of it, it can be fun.
0: Well, and like, you don't even have to do the math. If you're ordering a certain item and you have a quantity in mind, you could proactive as the artist or manager proactively ask, where are the price breaks? Cause then, you know, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I would encourage artist managers to sit down and think about that break-even point. Yes. And think about, I mean, we, we have a calculator for that that we share with with clients if they ask for it, but you have to really think through. I was talking to one of our top managers that has two of our biggest clients, and he was, you know, kind of really looking at that this year because the cost of goods have gone up yeah. um, over the last couple of years. Shipping's gone up exponentially. It's like a lot of those things really kind of eat away your profit margin if you're not careful. Um, so, I mean, I think everybody's profit margin can shift and change a little bit, but when you factor in all the expenses, you know, hopefully you're hitting around 25, between 25 and 35% in net profit after all of those expenses are backed out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you can hit 40, then that's pretty fantastic you know but if you're under like 25 then you're probably needing to reassess
0: yeah
1: you know and then also you just have to watch trends you know another thing this past year especially in touring is like i have a lot of clients that'll be like well you know we want to kind of make it super affordable for our artists you know be able to buy merch and i'm like yeah i totally get that but you know the the idea of a twenty dollar t-shirt 10, 15 years ago. The reality of it is that baseline tea now is at least 25, you know, or 30, maybe 35. We have a client that's gonna go out and they usually do their tour tea at 40. And you know, based on sales, it's always mm-hmm. their top selling tea. And they're like, we should just raise all our teas to 40. But I mean, you know, they're also printing on really nice blanks and they're high quality, high quality items. So fans will buy it and they'll buy it again. You know, so, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of philosophy that goes into that, you know, um, there's ways to kind of broaden your profit margin, make an order, hopefully higher quality goods, and also kind of match and meet what the expectation is for the fan. Uh, I mean, ultimately, if a fan buys a t-shirt that's really well made, that lasts a long time and doesn't wear out at $40, they're going to probably do it again. If they buy a crappy t-shirt that doesn't last very long and isn't ethically made, you know, and isn't, you know, it doesn't feel good. I was at a festival, yeah, in fall of 2021, my first like big festival back after the pandemic. And I really wanted to buy a festival t-shirts and, but I walked up, looked at it and I was like, I'm never going to wear this. Yeah. It's a gilding crappy, you know, t-shirt. And I was just bummed by it. The guy looked at me cause I was like, ah, and I was like, ah, it's okay. No, thank you you look a little perturbed. But I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm not going to spend $40 on a shitty t-shirt. I'm not going to wear, you know? I mean, I'm definitely a t-shirt now. It's not going back to how I got into doing this as a band. I mean, when you find a t-shirt you really love, you just hope that your, you know, the artist you love also prints on it. Um, but, you know, I mean, association, people pay attention, you know, that's really meaningful. And it, it, I think it, it, in some respects can be the difference of, you know, somebody dropping money on and supporting you versus passing on it, you know, so all those things I think are important to take into consideration for sure
0: hundred percent. I want to come back to t-shirt quality in a second, but um, as far as entry-level items artists can get rolling with, I would also say stickers, buttons, badges. Um, I mean, I know oh, yeah. you, I know you guys do like super high quality posters, but even like a basic poster can cost like 10 cents, you know? And so an artist just getting going could charge $10 for that, autograph it, charge 20 personally, autograph, charge 30. Um, so again, really keep those cogs, those cost of goods sold um, in mind. And also like I have a note in the book, this podcast is based on, um, you know, keeping shipping and pack- packaging in mind. There was a merch company uh, that told me any poster that's bigger than by 11, uh, bigger than 11 by 17 is going to be way more expensive to print and ship. Um, so you want to be mindful of this and really consult you, you know, consult the merch company to even if it's like the coolest idea ever, it, you, you want it to be feasible too.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you just learn those things you go, right? Like, I had a client, for a while, everybody wanted to do coffee mugs. And they're not super expensive to make, but they're incredibly fragile, and they're heavy, and they cost a lot to ship. And you can only charge so much for one, even if it's really nice, you know? So, if you're charging 10 or $15 for a coffee mug, mm-hmm. and it costs like 10 to $12 to ship all of a sudden that's like almost a 30, 25, $30 coffee mug online. Yeah. And that's not something, that's not an item you want to take on the road because of breakage. Um, not to mention breakage and shipping. So yeah, there's so many things, you know, um, there's a, a, merch organization of, or there's an organization rather of merch companies and printers called merch friends. that started, Oh, I guess a little over a year ago. And we actually had, we did do monthly uh, seminars Mm-hmm. or whatever together and uh we talked about bundles this past month which was really interesting because i've had you know i mean you just, you have to think through these things and sometimes you just don't know until you've done it but you can't sell a t-shirt or vinyl with a poster and it's you know i mean it's a great you know you think about it, it's like oh you put a record out and you're going to do a poster with it great mm-hmm. you go to ship that and it's just a hot mess mm-hmm. there's no way to safely ship the vinyl and no way to safely ship the poster So, and all of a sudden, you know, even if you bundle those together and sell them at a, you know, pretty decent margin, the shipping is going to be again, like half of what you're paying for those two items. So and shipping, you can't really do anything about, I mean, it is what it is, you know, it's kind of hard to, it's gotten more expensive on all fronts and it's just something you have to weather. I mean, I think most fans who buy stuff online understand that component, but you know we do see some clients like they'll charge a little bit less online just because of the shipping component so if a t-shirt was like 30 bucks or 35 dollars in a venue they might only you know they might mark it down five dollars online just to help offset that uh, aspect of it um yeah shipping can be really challenging but yeah you have to think about how stuff's going to be packaged and the fragility of it and um, all those things. I mean, vinyl is really tricky. Vinyl breaks a lot, corners get bent. Oh, man. But you know, one of the, actually, one of the, the biggest profit margin pieces really is posters. Poster, a good screen printed or even a nice digitally printed poster, you can get, you can mark up pretty nicely. Um, and uh, it's a one size fits all, which is really important. We have a, a legacy artist that came to us and is touring this year after 10 years. And they had this idea of doing like album centric t shirts, uh, which I loved. As a fan, I was like, oh, that's awesome. But as a merch manager, I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be impossible to manage. You've got sizes, you've got variables of popular albums versus, you know, record. And who's going to walk up and buy all of these? Like, you're not going to buy like six different t shirts with these different album covered themed, you know, related ideas. So we were talking with management. We're like, how about, you do those as posters. You can make them limited edition. They're numbered. If they don't, if certain posters, you know, certain album posters don't sell, you can maybe have the band sign them and add some, you know, additional value to it. You know, you can actually do a P&L, make some sense out of it You can keep it limited if you wanted to. There's so many like ways to control the narrative of that. And then also as a fan, I'm like, okay, I probably don't need three or four t-shirts, but having a wall of like six posters framed of one of my favorite bands, you know, like really cool art, you know, around each of their records, that, that's kind of a cool thing. Like I can see a fan like gravitating, and maybe buying the whole set. So trying to kind of get creative with things like that too. Um, it can be challenging, but it's a lot of fun, you know.
0: Which is also why I throw back to our get your business affairs episode together. When you hire someone to do album art, uh, for you, you need them to sign a work for hire as well. So if you want to do an album t-shirt or poster or whatever, um, there's no issues, uh, down the line. So you mentioned venue (laughs) fees and folks may not know that the, that venues get a percentage on merch. Um, I used to totally like BS that when I did merch and, um, our manage, we would count in and count out to pay yeah. the venue as little as possible. Sorry, venue friends. Um, I just read an article <laughs> that artists are starting to speak out about that and push back. I think someone just testified in Congress being like, we don't get a cut of your bar. You know, why should you get a cut of our merch? Do you think that'll shift or change like in our lifetime?
1: Yeah. I've talked to a wide variety of different artist managers in particular, like from club level all the way up to arenas. And it, if there's value added to it, now it's a little different. When you walk into an arena, you have to have multiple merch tables and booths. You're going to have to hire some local, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes union-wise, you have to have all local people selling. So, uh, and that's true some amphitheaters and theaters too. You walk in and you can't physically sell the merch mm-hmm. uh, yourself, which is kind of a bummer because you know this stuff really well uh and can help actually sell it you know as far as talking to fans and getting a chance to engage with them and then you're left to just have you know somebody locally hired to do it which may or may not do a great job um but anyway that's a different element but the the fee component excuse me would be you know if they bring value to the table that's one thing but quite often they don't bring any value to the table um i mean if you go in a small little club and they have a crappy merch area and they don't have like you know, any way for you to display the merch there's bad lighting uh, I mean it could go you know, sideways so many different ways and then they come to you at the end of the night and want to take a chunk of your revenue mm-hmm. I mean that's really hard to swallow I think, it, I, I think it's going to take time to change I think the bigger battle right now is really around ticketing and fees and availability for hot tickets in the secondary market um i mean there's that argument on top of this but i do think artists are starting to kind of push the narrative of hey we're kind of tired of these venue uh and i think it'll take some time um just simply because i think a lot of venues are still trying to kind of catch up um coming out of the pandemic and they're probably not going to want to give a lot up there but i think it would be great to see it become a little bit more standardized Mm -hmm. in a way uh that is more conducive towards the artist i I don't think you're going to see it completely go away uh, although i'd love to see that happen but i think at the end of the day you know if they could cap it at a certain you know certain rooms get a certain amount certain uh uh services warrant a certain amount it's just right now it's just like it's basically a fee you know, we're going to take this pound of flesh. And, you know, the the sad thing is it's really a disadvantage because the agent working for the, on the artist's behalf, do not get, see any revenue from merch. So they're not incentivized to mark, mark that down in any way, shape or form. So there's no advocate except for the manager or the artists themselves. And at that point, you know, it's really hard to, you know, make that happen. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's a really challenging, you know, dilemma but it's got to get better because it's really hurting people's overall margins but i can see both sides of it on some level it just needs to there needs to be some justification for that fee if a promoter is going to lean into it in the uk a lot of artists have been going next door to pubs and you know striking a deal where hey you know before the show and after the show we'll drive our fan base here if you let us sell here at no cost and then of course the promoter is like yeah absolutely. You know, it's going to help my bar tab out at the end of the night. So, and then a venue doesn't get anything and the promoter doesn't get anything. So they just won't sell merch, uh, which I love that too. I mean, it's going to take stuff like that where people just, uh, find creative ways to work around it or apply pressure to some change.
0: I love that. And also when I was tour managing internationally, um, the bootlegged merch scene in Mexico city was unreal. In Italy, it was unreal, and in some parts of the UK. So this was not the case in Mexico City. We were touring with Nine Inch Nails, and there was, like, blocks of bootlegged merch. And also, like, Trent put a disguise on to go check it out. And I think I still have some, like, bootlegged Nine Inch Nails shot glasses But, um, when it was Dresden dolls, uh, and it was headlining shows, I would just go stand outside in my American accent and be like, if you want to support Amanda and Brian, like come sell for me, because there are some places that are just going to, uh, set up and have totally bootlegged merch. And I was just reminded, reminded, um, by that pub story, but that pub story is really creative. I have not heard that before. So that's brilliant. I love that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. And bootleg merch is challenging it's kind of like dealing with this on a couple of different artists right now. And it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of flattering because obviously somebody sees the advantage. Right? You mentioned nine inch nails. I mean, that's at a whole other level. I mean, they're one of the bands that have an iconic logo branding that works well on so many different things. So it's like, there's no way that you can ever keep up with that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really, yeah, it's really hard to control some of those So i think you just have to the best way to beat that really is from communication and say hey come by from us this is going to support us and try to find a way to be creative about that we had an artist uh, trampled by turtles who as soon as they started seeing people bootleg their merch they bootleg the, that design they bought a tee scanned it changed it up a little bit and then basically it helped us too because as a merch shop we don't keep um, stock on hand we ordered in based on people's interest and needs but every now and then you end up with a certain amount of stock left over uh that eventually you want to do something with so we kind of collaborated with them and we just send them kind of what our stock on hand was this rando stock and they would you know do this one color print on a tee and we'd send them like 27 odds and ends for a show and it's like that that's the only time you can buy it. And they'd sell at the merch table slightly cheaper because we were, selling, you know, we were able to keep the pricing down on our end for production. And that was how they were kind of combating the, uh, the bootleg tease, which I thought was a lot of fun. I mean, that, that's the kind of, that's what you have to do. You have to think creatively, try to find fun solutions to, you know, odd problems like that at times.
0: I mean, we were shameless, like at festivals, you know, you know, you were just talking about festivals, like the merch stand could be like miles away. So I would just stand next to the mm-hmm. stage. And then Amanda from Dresnells would be like, this is Emily. If you want to come say hi, we're going to be over there. And I would just have like a bag of merch until maybe we would get yelled at. So um, yeah, we used to do whatever it yeah, is. Yeah,
1: nothing wrong with that. <laughs> cool. Yeah, you, 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 you absolutely have to do that. Uh, I, think, I think that's great. Um, man, I had a thought there about that. I was gonna try, uh, now it escaped me. Oh, maybe it'll come back, but no, I, I love stories like that. I think that's you know, that's what you have to do. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier. It sounded like you guys talked about recently, too. I mean, you, as an artist, you have to make yourself available up to a certain level and up to a certain degree. Like, if you're an opening act, you should absolutely go and spend some time at the merch table. Nothing bad is gonna come of that and develop that relationship early on. Um, it's, it's important to, to kind of do that. Nobody's, nobody's going to sell yourself and that relationship better than yourself. So at the end of the day, you just have to make yourself available on a certain level, uh, to be engaged like that. Uh, for sure. Make, that makes all the difference.
0: Well, I talked in the last episode about how Julia Noons, and I think she just does this with holiday lights, creates a selfie wall for her fans. It's like she knows they want to take photos. Mm. She has it set up, ready to go. She literally sprints over there. And I also mentioned um, she did a show in New York where she made flower crowns for her and her band, and then she made like 20 more and sold those for 30 bucks each, right? Because who wouldn't want a rad flower crown that the band is wearing as well? So. Um, she's a good one to pay attention. All all her merch ideas have nothing to do with me or my awesome business partner. She's a good one to pay attention to because it's very authentic.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I I love taking inspiration from unlikely places. Yeah. Um, but the best possible thing is when and then you know, every now and then we'll throw out an idea and it'll resonate. You know we try to be good partners like that i mean we actually try to view our relationship as a partnership in that sense but i, I mean it, yeah artists really want that authentic you know uh, opportunity and connection so therefore if an artist can put that forth um i don't know if this is true and we have an artist actually going out on the road uh with john mayer soon so i need to ask somebody about this maybe while they're out on the road but when i was managing josh rouse he did a, a or string of dates with John. And I remember talking to their merch manager and, you know, most of their merch was really good, but there's this one tee that was just not very good. It was very odd. So I remember asking them about it and they're like, oh yeah, that's the one John designed. So apparently he would, from very early days, he would design a t-shirt. And, you know, as his career grew, it was always the lower selling tee, but he would always kind of keep it in a mix and just print a handful of them just to have fun. And some of the early fans would know it would be, his tea so they'd buy it over some of the others but i just always thought that was fascinating it's like wow that's really kind of a fun way to kind of keep that component but he was also smart enough to know i you know i'm probably not the best artist so maybe visual artist maybe i should hire some people or engage with some creative director to kind of meet the need that's that's a challenging thing too we have every now and then we'll have an artist go i want this for myself and i'm like okay that's great but does it resonate at all with your fan base it's like you have to find a happy medium there if you're trying to if you're trying to take it seriously enough and build it into a component of your business not saying you can't have fun with it and be creative with it but sometimes the merch that you want as an artist isn't what your fan base wants so you have to kind of hopefully find a balance there um i mean that's i think that's that's important that's a you know i mean that's always the last resort and the last kind of gut check but Every now and then you have to kind of like keep... Again, it's about the fans to some degree. So you have to kind of keep that in mind as well from an artist's perspective.
0: Definitely. But what we all like are comfy t-shirts, um, which you mentioned before. No one wants yes. a cr- crunchy, gross t-shirt. In fact, most of the merch shirts I have just happen to be the comfiest ones. Like I remember... Brian from Dresden Dolls being like, "Oh, you're wearing that Smoosh T-shirt," which were like teenage girls that opened for them once. I'm like, "Yeah, because it's a really nice, comfy shirt." So, what kind of quality options are available, keeping price, you know, in mind as well? What should people be looking looking for?
1: Yeah, I mean, our baseline garment at Ambient is basically Bella Canvas, and there's a T called. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not super exciting. It's just what they name name it. It's a 3001, which is 100% cotton uh, tea. And it's pretty inexpensive. There's a couple other options out there very similar. Uh, Next Level, I forget the the number on it, but they have their kind of standard tea. Um, When you take a step or two up though, um, you can get a higher quality tea for not much more expensive um, overall. So it might cost you an extra dollar or two yeah. Per blank, but at the end of the day, you know, you can charge an extra five dollars for that tea and make that up, and you can communicate that it's USA made or 100% organic. Uh, Royal Apparel's all made here in the US, and um, their uh 5051 tea is great, they have an organic 5051, too, which is really great. There's a company called eConscious, um, that has a really great tea, um. As well, that USA made. That's also 100% organic. Um, trying to think of some of the others. Uh, there's some really great, I mean, you could go, there's different um, levels basically in tiers of like quality and expense. You can keep going a little bit more, um, you know, up that rail into like uh, everybody world, kind of being kind of on the top end, but there's a bunch of stuff kind of in between. Uh, it's a company called Bayside that makes like, if you want a really boxy, kind of heavier organic tea, which is um in USA made, which is kind of popular right now, uh kind of similar to the kind of classic, you know, Gildan heavy tea, which is not very ethically made. Um, you know, there uh there's a variety of different teas they make that are, you know, different weights are really great. The 5040 is really good. Um so yeah, there's a lot of options. Um it's when you get into the the real problem is is uh unless you're using recycled you know tri blends or something like that it's hard to get something that's really super soft on the t front that's also kind of more ethically made um which it can be a challenge sweatshirts can be a challenge too, to some degree um but bayside has a my favorite garment period is the bayside 960 hoodie sweatshirt it is so comfy and it holds up so well um, I have one that I've had for two years now and I wear it every week during the winter and wash it constantly. And it's just solid as can be. Um, so there's a lot of uh, really good and more and more coming along. It's a company called District Lines, make some really good stuff. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of what else, a few more probably come to mind, but yeah, just do your research, you know, uh, and talk to whoever you're ordering stuff from more than likely Outside of Royal, which still isn't on the main platform, wholesale platforms, I mean, people can usually get pretty much anything, even if they're not used to ordering it. If it's not kind of in a regular cycle rotation, not to say you can't find a good high quality T-shirt out there at a decent price if you do some digging.
0: And you guys will provide samples, right? So if you're working with a merchant. Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If somebody's really interested in something, they want to kind of see the feel and the cut of it, then yeah, yeah, we can always get our hand on a sample. If we don't have one in, we can order one up. But yeah, it's... Yeah, which is important, you know. Mm -hmm. You want to... I think most artists want to... Because it is a reflection of them. They want to, you know, know that they feel really good about what uh, they're putting out there into the world and how it fits and how it feels. Um, Yeah, I, I will say, though, I mean, I think as soon as you're able to, I mean, there's a bunch of, pre, there's a lot of perceived value. I just want to cut too many corners too early on from a cost perspective. If you can afford to, um, you know, to go a long way, you don't want to price fans out but at the same time. If you're communicating and you're, you know, uh, presenting a high quality item that they are going to want to wear, then it's worth it. You know, you don't want to be, you know, trying to cut corners. I, in my opinion, And putting something out there that's not quality. Um, Because if a fan buys that, even at a cheaper price and they never wear it, it's kind of defeating the purpose to some degree. Um, And honestly, if they spend a little bit more on it, but they love it and they wear it all the time, you know, they're probably going to want to buy it again and buy from you again. So it's kind of trying to find that happy medium. It can be a little tricky. But thankfully, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I mean, people still want to support artists in that way through merchandise. So you know, um, I don't know how long, I mean, like anything else, it'll, it'll reach, you know, a ceiling at some point and level off. But right now it feels like, you know, you can definitely be a little more bullish with pricing, which helps.
0: Yeah. And also like if, if it's something they're wearing, they're spreading the word on you. And also as far as, um, you know, pricing people out, that's also why we talked about stickers, buttons, you know, posters. So then there, Mm -hmm. there are price points, um, for everyone. But, you know, speaking of uh, shirt design, so what happens when an artist comes to you and they want, like, 10 colors on a shirt or hoodie? Um, can you tell us about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, as soon as we show them the price, they yeah. pretty much decide <laughs> they don't want to do that. It's So screen printing in particular, um, you know, you're, you're layering colors, and each color has a screen for the most part, so it can get rather expensive. Uh, we had an artist that like to do high color count, very involved designs. And they were awesome, but they were also really expensive. And it's time consuming too to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's great to do that. And it's easier to do that in small quantities. Um, they're, go- they're about to go back out on the road. And I was just talking to our head of production today and they're like, how many color counts on these teams? Cause we're going to, I kid you not, we're going to make about 25,000 garments for them for a tour uh, which is kind of insane. And, you know, but most of our color counts now are one to two, maybe three, I think their highest is four, but we used to get like eight, seven, eight color counts, you know, for a T, and it gets kind of expensive. Um, I mean, there's a lot of creative things you can do to kind of mitigate that and do different things, uh, to kind of still get a pretty, um, uh, pretty cool design. And, you know, kind of something that works really well um, that's also affordable. Uh, I mean, it's challenging too, because like anything else, you know, you go to, you know, a high-end store, you go to like a brand and they have like, or even like sporting, you know, clubs, it's like, they're selling such high volume of merch. They can kind of do like with embroidery and, you know, print tags and, you know, but they can do a lot of really high decoration components But you can't, you know, that's because it's done in in mass on a certain level and they can kind of keep their cost down based on that. But as, you know, an artist, you know, unless you can match that, it's really hard to kind of come up with um, high quality things. So you try to look at like the quality of the garment and you think about, you know, the thoughtfulness of the design and, you know, like we do merch for Maya Hawk and I think she's doing a sleeve print. You know, but we're talking about, you know, you know, you come up with a way to kind of make something work. You know, she's an artist herself and does a lot of, you know, illustrations. She actually did a deck of cards for her record, which was really cool. She designed all the face cards, which was awesome. Um, speaking of, you know, how you can engage with with a fan base. Um, I, yeah, it's just, and you know, do something authentic and creative. Um, but yeah, you just have to find a happy medium there based on what you think you can charge for a tea or for that particular item based on the overall expense. Um, and sometimes it doesn't make that big of a difference, you know, I and mean, sometimes it does. You just have to think about that from a, minute. it's really important. I think to work with designers and have some understanding of screen printing, mm-hmm. if you're going to screen print this stuff, because you can do anything, you can mock up anything on, you know, a computer that looks amazing, yeah. but how that's going to turn out, You know, like we we do, we collaborate with John Legend and do his printing and he has a whole creative team and they're very ambitious and do amazing work. But even at that level, we kind of like work with them and talk through, like they bring us their designs and we go, well, if we do this or we change that or what do you think, you know, we can print this side this way and, you know, you kind of massage it. So we have like a really great relationship now where you know, they, they're being a little more proactive with what they can do and they bring in this stuff that's kind of challenging and we figure it out. We love a good challenge, but it's like thinking about what's actually practical and how, what that looks like financially, I think is really important in that process. It can get you a few steps ahead for sure.
0: Yeah. So save the wild designs for the NFTs. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, when you're uh, playing, you know, arenas and stadiums and just printing money, you know, uh, doing six figures a night and merch, then, yeah, you can afford to do that. But it's challenging. Um, You know, hopefully it's just creative. Hopefully it's a a good uh, expression of who you are in the creative process of what you're, you know, trying to achieve that resonates with your fans. But, yeah, sometimes there's limitations within it, for sure.
0: Totally. So when should artists transition from selling, you know, printing and selling their merch themselves to working with a merch company for web sales and fulfillment or or in general for touring, too?
1: Yeah, I think... I mean, you have to be able to drive a different... There's not much of a margin in fulfillment, to be honest. Um, so you have to be able to drive... It's basically a volume business at a certain level. So... You have to be able to drive a certain amount of sales, I think. Not that it's all about the numbers, but... I I, Honestly, though, every now and then we'll have an artist come to us and they will be like, you know, we need some help with printing. It'd be great to have a web store because we don't really have... But I'll encourage them. It's like, set up a band camp, you know, like, send some stuff out. Hire a friend, as you were saying. Like, do this as long as you can until it's a pain point and it becomes unsustainable. And then figure out how to make that transition then. There's no you know, right or wrong to it, it's kind of hard to kind of pinpoint, but essentially, you know, if you can do it as much on your own until you reach that point, then it's probably a good time to make that move uh, to some degree. And, you know, on the road, when it gets to a point where, you know, you can afford to basically bring somebody out to kind of keep up with the nuances of the merch business and manage it um, and help you sell it, you know, maybe at the club or theater level, as you kind of build that's i think really important like a really good merch manager on the road will pay for themselves and then some uh at the end of the day um online is just a little more challenging i mean it's just margins are tight but you know then again like if you're selling more than you can manage on your own you know there's probably a business there that somebody can kind of come in and, and assist you with so i guess yeah, it's it's not dissimilar to artist management in a way it's like uh every now and then you'll or, or maybe more agents i think are being more bullish with signing artists early on when they're still trying to develop a career um at some point you know it's a kind of a balance between Ooh, i really love what you do i love your where your heart's at i love your design we can support that and build and grow with you um we still try to do that as much as we can but at the end of the day you know you have to kind of find some healthy balance there with the business side of things um, which is, I think, true for agents and managers, too. It's like you want to be supportive, but you also have to kind of pay the bills. So you try to figure out a balance there and, and make it work. So I think, I think, yeah, in, intrinsically, I think you'll know exactly when you need to make that switch. That's when you can't handle it anymore yourself.
0: A hundred percent. And how do you guys get compensated at Ambient Inks? Yeah, our, our
1: situation, this is another thing I really love about it. It's pretty straightforward. Like we don't do any kind of licensing or anything like that. I mean, because we started out as a print shop, you buy your own inventory, we do give you a single price. You know, print shops have a tendency to have like screen fees and setup fees and all that on top of, you know, the printing fees. And it gets complicated to figure out, you know, uh return on investment. So we just do a one price encompassing of all the services that we do around the printing. Because um, quite honestly, I mean, it's kind of where the margin's at for the most part to really th- make the business thrive and allow uh, us to do all the fun things we like to do. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of broken down into three tiers. the printing component. Uh, there's the e-commerce web store component. Uh, and that's kind of an industry standard 20%. Mm-hmm. So 80 to the artist, 20 to us. And that covers customer service, warehousing, things of that nature. Um, and then the fan pays for the shipping. Um, that's kind of standard nowadays too, just cause shipping so much. When I started doing merch, gosh, 25 years ago, you could sell a t-shirt for $10 and include the shipping, you know, as part of your margin and not have to put it on top. It was a one size, you know, one price for everything, but those things are long gone. Um, and then, uh, designs kind of, I mean, it's, it's so creative and involved and it varies so much. We just do custom quotes for that. Um, but most t-shirt designs, you know, if you're hiring a designer to do it and really refining it, you know, a good, simple design shouldn't be much more than maybe three, $400. But if you're doing a lot of hand illustration and stuff that can easily go up to six, 700 bucks, um, you know, a really involved hand illustrated poster is going to be, you know, seven, $800 to, to get designed, but it's also going to sell, you know, so you just have to figure it out and, and see what works uh, as you kind of go. But yeah, we try to, try to you know, just be as straightforward as we can with those components. And then, you know, obviously setting up a relationship with a web store, e-commerce thing, you know, you, you're you in it for the long haul for, for a bit, obviously, but we have non-exclusive agreements uh, and with no term limits or anything. We don't like to, we've had so many artists come to us that have had kind of tricky situations they've been stuck in. It's like, we don't, we don't want to put that on an artist. You know, you pretty much know if the relationship's working or if it's not, or if it's going to continue to work, you want to hold somebody in a situation that's not good for them or for us. So we try to just be as completely open and friendly in both in that regard, as much as we can. So, um, yeah, that, that, that works for us. And, and we've kind of have been able to build up a nice, uh, nice clientele of, of uh, various clients doing that. So very fortunate for that.
0: Absolutely. And I, I'm happy to hear you say 20% as the industry standard for a merch company, cause I'm seeing more 25 and 30% out there. Um, so that's great to hear. And then just a reminder for everyone, um, when you have your online merch store, whether you're doing it yourself or with a merch company, push it out there. If it's just sitting on your website, then, mm-hmm. then people don't know about it. So just a reminder on that. Um, do you guys share customers' email addresses with artists, uh, um, you know, that have purchased things? I'm like totally botching this question, but basically like if I buy something from an artist and that, I mean, you are the former noise trade president. So, um, anyway, that's my reminder to you, (laughs) like hit up your merch company, um, your online merch company and ask them for that data. Cause I've never had a merch company say no. And those are like arguably your most loyal fans. So, um, that's awesome to hear. And I'm not. Surprised by that. Not a question. Yeah, no, we definitely do. We actually have... Go ahead.
1: Well, there's two variables to that, right? So we have, on our stores at least, we have it where fans can opt in for marketing messaging. Cool. Um You see a higher rate of return and engagement if you engage with those fans that opt in that way. Technically, you know, we don't own that data. The, the client owns the data, so, uh, and you know, if you buy a piece of merch online, there's a decent, I, you know, as long as you, the other thing too, is always, I always preached this when I was at, um, noise trade too. If you collect email data, you need to quickly get that and engage and continue that relationship yeah. and build it. You can't, it does, does you no good and it doesn't really help your fans either. If you get data that's 12, 18 months old and that's the first time you're reaching out with some sort of marketing messaging because probably, you know, there's a good chance they might have forgotten how they got that info. And it's also important to kinda also mention that in that initial outreach. Like, hey, we noticed you bought, you know, for our store before, wanted to, you know, let you know about an upcoming tour. It's like that goes a long way instead of just blasting them about a tour or a new release with no context. So yeah, uh, I'm getting a little granular here from my <laughs> time in noise training as an artist manager. But I do try to really um, impress upon, you know, depending on the artist and management, how well-versed they are in that. It's like, make sure you reference where you got this data and ideally, if they've opted into it, you're going to see a better, you know, engagement rate. And that's the other tricky thing about data. It's like, you can have a huge email list but if your engagement rate is nothing, you know, if people aren't opening it, engaging with it and clicking through on stuff, then you know, it's not necessarily... Uh, it's it's a fun metric like your streaming numbers are a fun metric but quite honestly like what does that mean you know is that going to necessarily equate to ticket sales is going to equate to merch sales you know you have to kind of like go a little deeper into the data i think in order to kind of make the most of it um but it is one of the it's almost the only way you can get uh fan data outside of ticketing some ticket some promoters will share fan data through ticketing, but there's not, there's just not that, you know, streaming services still don't do it. Um, and hopefully maybe one point they'll open it up more, but well, they window it to some degree for Spotify fans first and things of that nature, but it's still not as readily available. Um, it's, it's a shame that people didn't have more foresight into that and didn't pressure those points. What, 15, 20 years ago, at the very onset of the era we're in now would have made a big difference. I think, um, and ironically enough, if you're as old as I am, you remember, uh, Columbia music club and BMG have one too. And, you know, the major distributors and labels had a direct the fan nice. sales funnel and they don't anymore, uh, which is kind of ironic, but, um, yeah, you can never go wrong having any level of connection with your fan base and merch can provide that in a big way.
0: That's right. Just a couple more things and then I'll let you go. We talked about this a little bit, but what are some of the most creative merch items you've ever seen? Like as a fan, you know, professional, whatever.
1: Oh gosh. Oh man. Yeah. There's a lot of great stuff. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I, we, we did cards uh, for John Legend uh, for his Vegas uh, dates. Uh, last year which was awesome uh, and then I mentioned my hawk did a set of cards that she designed um, and you know they're not super expensive to do which is pretty awesome uh, and you can charge a decent amount so there's a decent profit margin there uh, I'll share with you because it's sitting here on my desk um, there's a company that makes seed cards oh, cool. which are pretty awesome um, depending on how many you order they're about a dollar each roughly but uh, you can plan them and it'll grow flowers. And so camp did one to announce their record from last year, which was pretty awesome. Uh, so I'm a big fan of, of the seed cards because it kind of bakes in that, uh, sustainability moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's really not much out there that's not fun per se. And I think you can kind of get creative with it. Um, you know, camp actually, they did, a they have a song on the record that mentions dogs. So they did a whole like dog box set around their last release where they had like uh, a leash and a frisbee and a bandana, which was kind of fun. Um, you know, just being reactive too can be kind of fun in the merch game. Um, trying to find ways and to, to uh, listen to your fan base and, and engage with them. I I love it when artists put up different kind of like merch designs and do a poll or whatever, and kind of like crowdsource a little bit for opinions and ideas. I think that's a great way to engage with your fan base. Uh, And you can do that with different items too. So you're not hopefully, you know, going too far afield with something that sounds kind of cool, but doesn't really resonate. Yeah. um, And sell well. So, yeah, it's uh, gosh, there's so many, so many different things. Uh, but those are two that come to mind um, that I really love. Um, it's funny, like I think I don't, I don't see this as much nowadays. But record labels used to do a lot of like promotional items, and you would see those, and those would be really creative, maybe more than merch. Um, but I think with merch, you have to think about the, you know the profitability and the cost associated with it versus it just being a marketing ploy. So it's a slightly different and maybe a little bit more muted, but there's a lot of different things out there for sure to engage with.
0: Definitely. And I was just on someone's podcast, uh, and he had just seen grand funk railroad. Um, and he, I mean, mm-hmm. like you and I know this, but he said all, all the fans were going after, um, set lists from the sound person, you know, and actually the sound person Mm -hmm. had a folder and was just handing them out. And this podcast host is like, frame that, sell that, right? Especially maybe to kind of, um, not a younger audience who just might be more excited about a framed set list. Right. And it's just a piece of paper as he was like, no one was buying the shirts, but everyone wanted, um, the set list. So there you go.
1: Yeah. 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 You have to kind of keep your eye open and see how people engage. yeah, I think that's, if you play a show with the Ryman in Nashville, Tennessee, Hatch Showprint does a poster for every show, and they do a limited number of them, and they sell so quick. Yeah. So, yeah, same kind of concept. Like, you can turn something into a merch item like that pretty quickly uh, if you're, you know, seeing what people are wanting and engaging with and then trying to find a way. And you mentioned the hand-drawn, um, you know, written lyrics and dedicate. I mean... I've done that for a handful of clients. Actually, I get, I still get to work. I don't manage Josh Rouse anymore, but we're still great friends. And I do his merch and as a fan, because I knew his fan base so well, I went to him and I was like, when we started working together and I was like, dude, do you want to make some money before the holidays? Your fans would love handwritten, dedicated lyric sheets. And so we charged hundred dollars for him and he was awesome. I mean, he took the time to do it. He did it on a really nice card stock And his fans were really great about it, and he made thousands of dollars handwriting out lyric sheets. And it was the the byproduct of that, which I thought was really fascinating. Was I was talking to him afterwards, and he's like, "You know, I don't look, you know, because well, the other thing too is we let the fan pick the song, Um, so because sometimes people limit it to a certain amount of songs. But anyway, so the number of songs that came in, the variety of it, I thought was really fascinating, and it was to him. But then he was also like it gave him an opportunity to be really critical and think about some of the lyrics. Cause it's different when you're writing stuff out versus singing it. So yeah, he was like, some of these songs I, I'm really proud of. And some of them make me cringe, but I know I see how it connects with the fan base and is meaningful. So yeah, it was a really great, great way for him to, and for his fans to really support him in a way for him to kind of glean something different out of that relationship. And, and be really thoughtful and attentive to it, uh, which I really love. Uh, and to your point earlier in the introduction, it's like, you know, cost of card stock, whatever, 10 or 15 minutes of this time, which isn't insignificant, mm-hmm. but it's meaningful, you mm-hmm. know. And it's something somebody can frame and put in their house and, you know, feel really good about. I, I, tr- I really try to think about that. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and I'm looking around my office with all the posters on the wall. But I, I love that component. I think... I think there's something really special. I mean, I also love buying a great t-shirt and wearing it to Beth, but it, it just has more, it lasts longer. and It's more meaningful. And you can put, a, I guess a little bit more, uh, I guess value in that to some degree. So, which is kind of fun.
0: I love that. Last question for me. Um, can you talk a little bit about international merch companies? Cause I'm going to guess that you guys don't handle Courtney Barnett's merch in Australia, for example, how does that work? Well,
1: we don't. Yeah. Courtney's interesting. Cause I mean, she has her own label and runs her own merch in Australia. So, but we were able to collaborate and kind of take the lead for the most part worldwide for her. Uh, international is tricky to some degree. Um, I mean, what I would say is unless you're touring in those markets or unless you have a major marketing like initiative or drive, uh, merch, Online e-commerce merch sales are pretty slow from what I've seen outside of the U S excuse me. Um, we have a partner, uh, in the EU and UK and we have partners down in Australia too, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we can help facilitate and share resources, uh, art files and, you know, his sales history and stuff like that, just to kind of help, uh, move that stuff along. I think it's really hard Everything's different. Like posters don't sell as well in, in Europe and the UK right now as they do over here. Uh, water bottles. We have a client going over and went to order a bunch of water bottles. And I was like, it's not, it's going to still cold over there. It's like, nobody's going to buy a water bottle until the summer. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking through stuff like that, <laughs> which can be challenging. Uh, you know, sweatshirts don't sell over there, but they sell really good here. So just knowing those nuances, I think are important. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's challenging. I think running an e-commerce store, you just really have to have enough people wanting to buy from those territories to, to justify carrying the inventory, um, at least in the level of business that we do. But touring, obviously, you need to be able to mirror that, and that's a huge profit margin for most bands, um, obviously. So having a good connection over there with good printers and people that kind of know that side of the business in those markets is also super crucial Uh, and then you had Brexit too which makes it super challenging you have to print in the EU now and then you have to print in the UK because taking stuff in and out of the UK is rather expensive as it is here from Canada and the US which is also a whole other challenge uh, in and of itself Uh, so yeah there's a lot of nuance to that stuff Um, but there's also uh, variations and things that are different in each market which you have to kind of take into account as well
0: yeah. So like when I was touring, the band I tour managed um, had a merch company here in the US, had one in the UK, had one in Germany and had one in Australia, because obviously it's going to be a lot cheaper when you're touring Europe to get that stock um, from Germany. And you're right about Canada. Um, you know, i I I do have to give a shout-out to JSR Merchandising because they taught us so much of this. And they may have been the Dresden Dolls' first team member, to be totally honest. And they would have us ship ahead to Canada, right? And, like, work with the promoter on that. I think I remember... Because the White white Stripes have that documentary, like, under the white Northern Lights or something. And they said, like, we've been all over the world and the hardest country to get into is Canada. I mean, I remember standing in a customs line at the Canadian border with all these, like, giant truck drivers that had, like, meat and stuff. And I just had, like, my Dresden Dolls, like, merch undies to show them or whatever. So it's, it's, yeah, that's why you really have to work with your international promoter to know what the customs deal is and the norms, um, to get ahead of that. And the other thing you really need to pay attention to when touring internationally is bank holidays and holidays that you might not know about, you know, from, uh, an American perspective <laughs> yeah. or wherever you're from, because my best friend was our merch person that we toured with. And Laura and I chased many a merch box, you know, around Europe where we would have to have fans pick it up and ship it to the next city. So that's all, uh, things to consider.
1: Oh Yeah. Yeah, lots of variables. Um, I have an artist that's playing Philadelphia on the night of the Super Bowl. And, of course, when they booked a show, I don't know. You could argue and say it's not too far-fetched that uh, the Eagles would be in the Super Bowl. But nonetheless, he moved his show up until the afternoon because he knew nobody was going to come to a show that night um, because of the Super Bowl. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. Uh, World Cup, Euro Cup. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot of things to take into account in touring.
0: Very smart. Any questions from Chris? Yeah, totally. Or for Chris? Absolutely. And on anything, too, because he has a varied career. All
1: right. Hi there, Chris. This is is Leonard. Um, Hey. Got a a two-part question for you. What is the most creative merch idea you wish you would have thought of? And what's the most unique merch idea you wish you would have thought of? Mm, that's a great question. Um, yeah, let me think on that. Something I've seen out there that I really love. Um, of course, you could ask me what my favorite artist is right now, and I try also struggle and draw a blank. That's <laughs> one of those things. Uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, we we do them. Um, for internally out of our test print uh, posters, when you make a poster, sometimes you usually have to run a test print or two to kind of like get your alignment right and whatnot. Uh, And instead of wasting those, we do notebooks Uh, and we were doing them internally and giving them out as gifts, but we weren't doing it for artists. So um, this doesn't really answer your question, but I really love doing this. I love telling artists about it, doing that, um, as a, you know, taking an old tour poster and creating a notebook out of it. Uh, I'm sure I have a few here. Uh, yeah, here's one for camp. Um, so that was a, a section of the the poster, and then you have a nice little, you know, introduction page for it. I think, you know, I just love upcycled stuff. Anytime you can do that. Um, Boni Iver did, is before I worked at Ambient, Took a bunch of merch and made pillowcases out of them which was pretty cool um yeah i mean I, I, I really i'm a huge fan of really creative merch um but now that i'm in as a fan but now that i'm involved in the production side of it i'm also uh keenly aware of the cost that kind of go into some of those things um so yeah it's yeah it depends on what your goals are with it but uh yeah, all for being super creative. Uh, and, and this doesn't really answer your question so much either, but I do love taking inspiration from a different genre or a different kind of like audience, if you will, merch, and then trying to apply that, you know, somewhere else. Uh, I think that's a great uh, fresh way to kind of get an idea and try something different. Um, so yeah, those kind of things are, you know, not necessarily specific items, but maybe some philosophies on how to kind of look at how to do creative merch. You know, upcycling and looking in odd spots for inspiration, I think, can go a long way.
0: Um, I've got one. Uh, I, I worked with an artist named Taurus that's femme, non-binary, has a very... Um, feminine audience. And she has a lyric uh, that says something like, I'm an ass man. And so she had ass man hats, which is also a Seinfeld reference. So those would sell out like pretty much every night. Um, so yeah, so just having fun with lyrics and throwing it on a hat can uh, can do it too. Uh, well, Chris, thank you so yeah. much for your time tonight and such an in-depth conversation. I could always talk to you for hours about this stuff. We really, really appreciate it. And just keep up the great work up in Eau Claire and Minneapolis for ambient inks. It's, it's really awesome what you guys are up to.
1: Oh, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. I love having these chats. So, um, yeah, hopefully it was helpful. Uh, hopefully people glean a little bit off it and just, you know, honestly just gosh, just have fun with it and lean into merch. Just a great opportunity to engage with your audience in a, a very meaningful way. Um, so any, any chance I get to preach that always happy to. So thanks.
0: Absolutely. So that's a wrap. For Episode 9 of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams Season 2. Come back on Saturday at 1230 Central where we are going to be covering your revenue stream checklist. I'll be going through every single revenue stream that's owed to you if you write, record, release music, play live, plus a whole bunch of bonus revenue streams. And we're going to be chatting with Lachi who's just getting back from the Grammys. I know she's been at the White House. I just saw a picture of her with New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Um, Lachi is also the founder of Ramped, which supports artists with disabilities, and she is a force of nature. So thanks again to Chris, and we'll catch you then.